This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. All right, Raw Beauty crew, we have a legend in our midst today, a parenting legend. I'm so excited to have her here today. Dr. Aliza Pressman is joining us. She is a developmental psychologist who has been working in this field for over 15 years. I think whenever you've been working in a field for closer to two decades, you're going to have a profound amount of expertise in this area, but she's also doing the groundwork as a mom herself. So she's not just talking the talk, she's walking the walk. Aliza is the co-founder of Seedlings Group and the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. She has an incredible podcast called Raising Good Humans. And I love this podcast because it's not just you providing advice as to what's worked with your own kids. You are bringing in experts in all different areas and really committed to evidence-based research-based practices when it comes to parenting. So I'm so excited to chat with you today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for having me and for your very kind words. Of course. When it comes to parenting, there are so many different topics that we could cover together and so many different areas that we could dive into. And a, a huge part of me just wants to turn this into a personal therapy session with you where we talk <laughs> specifically about my children. But Rob Beauty Crew, I've got you in mind. And <laughs> for so many of us who are in this community, a couple of things that come up again and again are anxiety and mental health, and then our relationship with food and our body. And as you would expect, when you've struggled in these areas, it is so easy to want to protect our children from ever having to go through this. And yet at the same time, we know that body image struggles, negative body image, comparison, eating disorders, anxiety, depression, they're all on the rise. So first of all, before we dive into any tips and, and before we get Dr. Aliza to weigh in on these topics, I want to ask you, what is your parenting philosophy? <sighs> taking a breath <laughs> yeah up there i really try to avoid thinking about parenting like with one approach in mind because i think it's so highly personal and i know that it is very appealing to have one approach because it just feels like maybe that's just easier i'll just do this person's approach or that style but I don't think that's particularly authentic to the science or to ourselves because there are going to be pieces of approaches that work for you and some that just don't sit right with you. And I wouldn't want anybody to feel like they have to be married to, I mean, parenting is not a religion. And also 
there is some science that's so clear that if it sounds like an approach, this is mine, which is to say that we know across cultures, across ages, across decades in brain science and social science, that in order to thrive, kids need at least one. So it really just takes one, but ideally you get more adults with whom they feel safe and secure. And that is sensitive to their needs. So that's kind of in that safety and security and has appropriate boundaries and limits. Mm. Everything else is kind of up for grabs and the details can make it easier. Like, can I help your kid learn how to sleep through the night? A hundred percent. Can I tell you that there's one way to do it? I can if you want me to, but I'd rather you say, I believe in crying or I don't believe in crying or I'm a co-sleeping parent or I'm not a co-sleeping parent. And then I'll work with you based on what feels right for you instead of a philosophical approach. If people could know that the science is so much more simple when it comes to parenting, that it just kind of requires a couple of things, the sensitivity of care, the boundaries and appropriate limits and repair when things go wrong, you don't really need much more than that. I mean, I have hundreds of podcast episodes and I have a book coming out and I have a, like a newsletter, but honestly, if you really were just like, I don't have time for any of that, (laughs) that's where I would go. Did anyone else just feel like they took a big, deep breath and were able (laughs) to just relax a little bit in hearing that? I feel like my whole system just feels so much more settled even hearing that because I I came on. My next thing is like, are we gentle parenting? Are we conscious parenting? Are we setting (laughs) like, what did the boundaries look like? How do you know that your child is attached properly? Is it okay if they're, I mean, it's just, it's so hard to know how to not fuck your kids up. Excuse my language. And of course, we all want our kids to be healthy and to be happy and to be self-expressed and all of these wonderful things. But what you just said was simple. One individual, one caregiver who they feel really deeply connected to, who can provide some boundaries and a feeling of safety and then repair which I want to dive into a little bit. What does that uh-huh. look like? Because we are going to make those. Because you're going to need it daily. Yeah, because we're going to need it. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, 
country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash raw beauty talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. Over. So when you hear all of these things right now, and some of them are being spoken about by very educated professionals, what stands out to you? I mean, like when you hear Dr. Shafali talking about conscious parenting and you hear Dr. Daniel Amen talking about mental health in children and, and like all of them are sharing really great pieces of advice. And then you have like the mom bloggers and then you have, there's just so, so much advice coming our way. Yeah. I think conscious parenting is a perfect example. It's wonderful. And also it's a remarketing of being sensitive and attuned to your child and holding appropriate boundaries Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like how you interpret conscious parenting or gentle parenting is also going to depend on what feels comfortable for you. My sneaking suspicion is people will use those methodologies as an excuse to support not setting boundaries or limits, but that's not actually necessary. Well, gentle parenting is a bad example. Here's the tricky part. Conscious parenting and gentle parenting and anything parenting, it's not like we've randomly assigned kids different kinds of parenting folks. And we could say like we, like we took this group of families and we assigned them a parenting approach. And we looked at this other group of families and we assigned them a parenting approach. So since we don't have that kind of science to look at, what we can do is look at the stuff that is relevant. And then if people in my field want to market it in a different kind of way, because it speaks to parents, Godspeed. Like if that helps you, that's totally fine, but it's marketing and branding. It's not the science. And that is not a criticism because I'll tell you, there are a lot of people who will say to me, could you just tell me what to say? Like, yes. give me the sentence. So for those, like when I have groups or if I'm working privately with someone, I might say, sure, I'll give you the sentence, but I just want to be clear. That is not like, that's my opinion based on the science. This is the, you know, and, and my own stuff. 
but it's not, I just don't want anybody to think of it, it as like, this is the Bible. Mm. So I guess that's how I would, that's what I would say. I love a lot of the brilliant minds that have an approach, but I do think that that approach is much more about a marketing tool to to communicate with parents that might respond best to that. I don't think it's like a real thing you have to commit to. Right, right. And what I'm hearing as well, when you talk about the science, like often when I think of science, I think of black and white. And what I'm hearing is that there's, in regards to a parenting approach, it's almost like these black and white guardrails. Okay, we need one person that they're attached to, but that there's a lot of gray area in the middle in regards to how we're actually communicating the messages day to day or how we're feeding our child or how we're doing our bedtime routine. Like all of that is going to vary depending on the family and the individuals involved. Absolutely. That's, that's beautifully said it. There's, there's like a couple of guardrails and then the rest is just a giant gray area that has to align with your personal values and your community values and what is reasonable to expect of you. Because the other thing is like the amount that's thrown at us as mothers in particular, but all parents is so heavy. It's like you're getting so much weight thrown at you. You have to decide what you can carry. And if you decide I'll do it all, you will drop all of it. And that leads you nowhere. So for that, I think it's like, what speaks to you? What really matters to you? Some people might really feel like food, for example, is so deeply important. The nourishment of it all, the making sure that the quality is there, making sure that there's a commitment to having that be a part of the, even the socializing in the household. And then for other families, that might be like a whole bag of stress because it was a terrible experience in their childhood. Mealtime was a fight or there were so many comments made about bodies. So I think that's the kind of stuff that goes into that giant center of gray that just can't work without the individual coming to terms with what matters to them. Okay. So around food and mealtime, can we get a little bit more granular in regards to, I know you're (laughs) not going to tell us exact sentences, but I feel like for so many individuals and myself included, I have a daughter who's five and I want to help her become more resilient to the messages that she's receiving in media I've done so much work myself around body image and my relationship with food. And I'm obviously trying to instill some of these values in her. How much of this is our job as parents to protect our children from things like social media and anxiety and depression? And I mean, it's 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 more than a full-time job, just keeping them safe in regards to yeah. the basics, that it can feel overwhelming trying to protect them from all of these things. And I think that what you're naming is so, I mean, we all feel it. And what I would say is that for that reason, once you decide what matters to you, there's science around body image. There's science around social media. It's not great right now because it hasn't been around long enough. But so it's not that we couldn't get into the weeds, but I would say stepping back You can even use that big picture idea of like sensitivity and safety and those boundaries Mm -hmm. in order to make decisions just around body image or just around mealtime or just around social media, because you can ask yourself, okay, 
one sentence, and here's the quote that, here's a scripty kind of thing, but you could only say this with younger kids because I have teenagers and when I say it, it's now a joke in our household. <laughs> but <laughs> They're like, I know what you're doing, mom. Stop trying yeah, to say exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, it captures the, the idea of, of the big science, the big picture, which is all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. And so that's kind of like, here's the sensitive sensitivity of care means like you get to feel your feels because of course we're not in charge of that. And also that doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want. And so you can ask yourself that question as well when it comes to, you know, body image and you're thinking of, I have a five-year-old and I really do want to make sure that I approach food, body image, social media. I'm pulling those from what you said, but I know it doesn't sound totally linked, but I think it's probably something we all think about in one bucket. So you could ask yourself, so what are my feelings about these things? Like, what am I bringing to this? And it, it sounds like for the folks here, you know, because you've thought about it deeply and that's why you're here. Mm. So what am I bringing to this? Like, how did I get there? What happened in my experience at mealtime? What happened in those moments? What can I remember? And what do I want to throw out? Like, what am I taking from it? And what do I want to make sure to consciously avoid? And we, you know, we know that you really don't want to fixate too much on what goes into your body as a conversation point at a meal. You want to talk at a meal and communicate at a meal. And the food is part of the experience of eating and nourishing yourself, but saying three more bites of broccoli and then you can have blah, blah, blah. That's probably not going to support if your commitment is kind of a healthy relationship with food, healthy feelings about your body and thinking about what you want out of that time you probably don't want to take that time to get yourself all stuck in knots and watching what your child is eating. You might need to even say, I'm not looking down at their plate. I'm going to assume that I've offered perfectly healthy food and they're going to eat what is appropriate for their particular body. And we're going to have a nice conversation. We're not going to have distractions of like television or things that might Does television sounds so old school. <laughs> no, not at all. I didn't like even 90. think about it when you said it. No, <laughs> but, you know, like I'm going to feel they're going to feel the food in their body, just yes. like I'm going to feel the food in my body because it's intentional. You're focused on being present in the moment. And that is all going to serve the bigger picture of healthy body image and good eating habits and all the stuff that you are hoping for in those moments. And it's serving for connection. It's serving the purpose of connection because it's this meal time where you're not fighting. Like the minute you find yourself fighting or arguing over food, that's it. That's a moment where we want to go to a repair because that wasn't the intention. Mm. And it's kind of like in particular with food, you can't control what goes into somebody's body, what they swallow. That's like a losing battle out of the gate. So you're much better off just letting go of that control, which is a big thing to say, if you've ever had the experience of 
clinging to control through food. I'm loving this because I'm thinking about my, so my seven-year-old will eat anything you put in front of him. He loves all of it. And there's no complaints. And my five-year-old is fully on the simple carb and cheese plan at self-prescribed. And so <laughs> it is for me, knowing all of these tips around intuitive eating and, and building a healthy relationship with food. And then here I am seeing so clearly everything that I'm bringing, as you said, to the table, my beliefs about food and what is right and wrong are all of a sudden coming to the surface. I thought I'd sorted all of this out and there they are like, and I'm thinking she can't just eat mac and cheese 24 right. seven. Like she needs right. to have vegetables. She should, in my mind, she should have another bite. Like I've put the lasagna in front of her. So all of a sudden, I think parenting does this all the time. We see what's actually thing. there, right? We see yeah. what we're bringing to the table. Even if we've been doing the work, there it is again, there's another opportunity to continue to grow and evolve. So, okay, let's use this as an opportunity because I think there's probably other parents who've been in this situation to talk about boundaries. So yeah. this feels like an area for me that I struggle in because I don't want to talk about what she's eating too much and I don't want it to become stressful or controlling. But at the same time, another part of me is like, the girl can't have cheesies for breakfast and McDonald's for dinner and a hot chocolate in between. Like right. that doesn't align either. <laughs> so yeah. how do we know and find confidence in setting boundaries and trusting in our ability to set boundaries, I guess is what it is without again, screwing up our kids. I mean, I wonder if, for example, you can't just have McDonald's unless somebody buys it for you. Right. So a, an easy boundary is like, we just don't get fast food. Right. Or we don't eat fast food that's at home. Sometimes food. And that's not, right. yeah, that's not what we're having tonight. Yes. And yeah. And another boundary can be, I'm not a short order cook. So if you don't feel like eating this, then that is totally fine. But this is what we're offering tonight. And obviously you always want to have something that your child does eat. Yes. And then letting go of, so there's a difference between McDonald's and the carbs and cheese diet that's home, you know, that you yes. made at home. Yes. And I think if you can say to yourself over the course of two weeks, my child is getting enough nutrients. I know this because the doctor is saying that her growth curve looks great all's well, then just offer, but don't worry if she's doing anything. Her job is to just be on that growth, the, have the correct growth curve. And then our job is to say to ourselves, I'm going to keep putting at the table, almost like this family style of healthy options. Mm. You know, one of my kids is going to choose whatever. One of my kids is picking the same thing over and over. That's okay. I'm choosing all of it. I'm modeling that we're having conversations about other things and it's in the water of our household to eat this way. It's going to be internalized. It just might take a decade or two. Right. And so it's just a marathon. So I can almost guarantee this five-year-old is not going to live off of McDonald's no. cheese and pasta forever. <laughs> there will be a vegetable here and there. There's going to be probably a fruit here and there. Of course. And so if you just remind yourself, like, I don't love this particular meal, 
like the choices that she's making at this particular meal, but this is not my job. My job is just to provide the offering. And then the boundary is set there. We're not going outside of what I'm offering, but I'm not going to pay any attention to the amount of food that she's putting in her body because I know that she's safe and healthy and I'm not going to add this burden to our relationship. And it's just, it is so hard, but it, you know, it's the same thing of like, well, I am offering something that feels like not, you know, you don't want her to only eat that. I am offering it because we have some in the households or like we've made the decision to include that in the meal, but it's just like, that's the amount that's on the table if you're still hungry, there's more. There are just so many ways to do it without it turning into a battle. But I think thinking of food choices, even as a marathon and not a race, will get you through the like, okay, it may be a few years before this kid is excited to join me in this delicious chopped salad that I'm eating. But if you see a person having it, it's, you know, it happens in the reverse as well. Mm. If you're eating or drinking like six martinis a night in front of your kids and they're not having it, but rest assured, it will be wired into them that that is a norm. Mm. So you want the norms that you wire in based on your behavior to be super healthy, but not fixate on the details with what your kids are doing or what you're doing so that it doesn't become this battleground or obsessive anything. And the world, as you mentioned, social media and just culture that will get to our kids no matter what. So we don't need to add to it. And I cannot tell you how many times the most loving, well-meaning parents still say more about daughters than sons. They love their carbs. They love their carbs because it may be true, but it also may be, we notice it more in our girls. And that's just like, a culturally ingrained thing that we're just like, oh boy, she's going to have a tough time if all she likes is this. 100%. And that's our own, right? Like you can hear it from everybody. Everybody. Oh my. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you said that, I was like, it's so true because my son eats whatever, some days double what she eats and all of those things. And if I'm being honest, I don't label it or notice it as much. Right even though I do this work and I've been talking on this podcast, even for three years about this stuff, the diet culture conversation and dialogue and expectations for women are so deeply rooted. Okay. So what if you're listening to this and you're like, I did the thing. I I said something terrible about my own body in front of her or in front of one of my children, or we got into that battle at dinner time. Like I lost my cool. And I said, you have to eat this or you're not getting dessert. And it turned into a big stressful event. Let's talk about repair and what that looks like. So then I, I should say, because of course this happens to all of us. I'm sure I did it yesterday. Like I have two daughters, they're in high school. I think, no, one of mine is in seventh grade. I don't know why I said two of them are in high school. Good Lord. Very close. Well, she's very close next year. (laughs) 13. So I think one thing that is super helpful is to think of the idea. And I guess this would be another philosophy, but we got, we have to get this right more often than not. And that's about it. So let's assume 
that we're all going to have a blow up like that at the table or say something about ourselves or yeah, make a negative comment about our body or roll our eyes when somebody praises our bodies or just go up to another woman and say, oh my God, you look amazing right now. Tell me what you did. Yes. <laughs> like whether it's a positive or a negative, the focus on the visual is of course, those are moments that are mistakes. Yeah. And to repair, you can do one of three things. First, always take a breath and remind yourself, I'm only supposed to get this right more often than not. So let's just give ourselves some grace there. And I think that's a huge part of resilience too. Like nobody does well or thrives with a perfect mother. All you would do is spend your whole life living up to said perfect mother, right. who we know was never perfect. But like, if that was the presentation, that's an enormous amount of burden to put on a kid. Wow. And for any- well, this is what she's saying right now is really important. Like you're not just talking about being a perfect parent or being a perfect individual and like, you know, working hard and checking all the boxes in life. You're talking about and giving permission to us to make mistakes as a parent. And that when we aren't giving ourselves that permission, it is putting a burden on our children to try and live up to an expectation of perfection. Yes. That's pretty profound. To give ourselves permission to make mistakes, even as parents with our children. And that rather than that screwing them up, it's actually giving them and demonstrating a human element and giving them permission to make mistakes as well. Absolutely. Like if you actually could build a perfect parent, you would build in the mistakes that would actually be better parenting. So it's like perfect parenting is the enemy of perfect parenting. It just doesn't work. Wow. But this is also where repair comes in. It's not about wreaking havoc and being like, (laughs) oh yeah, I screwed that up. So I'm doing perfect parenting right now. I'm supposed to mess it all up, but I'm imagining it really is about the stumbling and then how we get up and carry on from there. That's exactly Talk to us a little bit about that piece. So after you give yourself the grace of reminding yourself, okay, this was the moment that I offered my child (laughs) by being (laughs) imperfect. Here's your gift. (laughs) Here's your gift. It turns out I'm not perfect. You don't have to be either. Then you acknowledge what just happened. You know what? I started to think about who knows, like, let's say, you made something, you made a negative comment about your body. I just noticed that I was not honoring my body and I just was nasty to my body. And I was saying that this body that has done, you know, maybe you would even say a few good things. Mm. I just undermined it. I would like to apologize for that. And I want to apologize to myself and I want to apologize to you because that's not something that I want for you either. Yes. And that's that. And then you move along. Other ways to repair those moments when you just think, I just snapped. Pause. Again, remind yourself kind of what your purpose is and what your intentions are in this parenting world. And then see if you can find laughter or joy. You can repair. If you really think about in 
in romantic relationships, you don't necessarily have like a sit down conversation about every micro moment that's just a little icky. But sometimes it's just you turn on a show that you both like and you hold hands and you kind of just know we're good. Mm, right. And it's not because you named it and took your breath and gave the proper apology, which is completely valuable and valid. But there is a time and a place and there are also moments to just say sometimes repair is just allowing your child to see that they are loved for exactly who they are and that that has not changed despite the fact that there was a tension or a rupture. Yes. I feel like you just drew a circle in a way. It was like we had connection and then boundary setting and then oops, we slipped and messed up or gave our child a gift as we're now going to look at it. And then we connect again, whether that's watching the show and, and having that body contact. I mean, you can go back to the five love languages here, having a conversation, quality time, you know, doing Play-Doh with them for a second, whatever it is, but finding that connection again. And then we probably just cycle through and keep trying and keep learning and all, all of the things. And then when you do each time, if you imagine those ruptures when repaired, just build like strength in the same way that when you're working out and you do let you're lifting weights, but you don't want to do so much that you would harm yourself. Right. But you want to do enough to make those tiny little ruptures that build stronger muscles. And we're doing that in all of our social emotional weightlifting as well. Yeah. I feel with my kids that currently in this season, there is a strong connection, (laughs) which feels really nice and really good. One of my greatest challenges as a mother from day one was the internal struggle around feeling guilty about work and parenting and trying to form that connection and have those special moments and ensure that they feel that they feel that strongly while also loving what I do with work and feeling almost, I described it this weekend when talking to someone is like, I'm a bit selfish. Like I love doing my stuff too and having this time and I've got big dreams and goals and I get so much fulfillment out of this work. And so do you have any tips for the parent who feels like they're juggling at all? And in regards to specifically keeping that flame of connection alive and nourished. I think one of the best ways to do that is to just note your own temperament and your child's temperament. Like you mentioned the five love languages, but anything like that where you're paying attention to what builds connection in that person. And so for one kid, it might be playing a video game where you're like, how did I end up playing a video game? I don't even like video games. <laughs> Please no. But, yes. Yeah, but yeah. maybe it is. Maybe you're like, there's only one way to give joy and experience joy with this kid who is obsessed with Harry Potter right now. I'm going to read Harry Potter with them. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch the movies. We're going to like have two pages a day. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's, you know, cuddling um, or, or having that co- conversation. Like my son loves yeah, maybe the chatty. Yeah. He wants to yeah. have that end of the day download. And, right. and so you build connection. Cause you're like, I know what, I know what, what I have to do mm-hmm. because it is, our joy together is that end of day conversation. And that just like feeds this relationship. Whereas with another person, it's playing tennis together. You just never know, but whatever that is, decide what it is and make sure that you budget time for it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be, I mean, there's studies upon studies, 
the mother's well-being. And I use mother as a proxy for any primary caregiver. Mm. So if primary caregiver is dad or primary caregiver is grandma, I'm saying mother. And so mother's well-being, your well-being is linked with the joy and purpose you find in your work. So if you gave that up in the service of being a good mother, your child would not benefit. No. And I would become a martyr. And I have a feeling then I would be putting the same expectations on my children to make sacrifices that I don't actually want them to have to make. So I think like what I'm hearing you say is really get to know your children and how to keep that flame in the relationship alive. And then ensuring that you're feeding and caring for yourself. I mean, one thing that keeps coming up again and again that I keep hearing you say, and I can't remember what the like eloquent way of saying this is, but that our children's values aren't necessarily taught, but they're modeled. When you were talking about dinner time, it's like if you're feeding yourself a variety of foods and sitting down to eat and having conversation around it, that's being modeled. If you're drinking six martinis, that's being modeled. If you are <laughs> giving yourself permission to do something that you're passionate about and that you love, that is modeled. If you are tending to your relationship with yourself and with others, that is being modeled. It almost sounds like that in a way is more important than the instruction tutorial, like teaching that we sometimes yeah. do with our kids. Totally. Naming things through teaching, go for it. You can say, you can name it, you can say things, sprinkle it in the water, but yes. modeling, of course, you know, one fun exercise to do is a family mission statement. And if you don't want to do a family mission statement, you could just kind of list like three to five value, core values for this family. And this is research that's been done by others. But the gist of it is that you basically are like, okay, what really matters in this family? And you write down your top three to five. So it doesn't mean other things don't matter, but this is like all things being equal. When my kids grow up, I want them looking back to this mission, Mm -hmm. you know? And you can do that with your partner if you have a partner. And what's really fun, because your kids, for example, are five and seven, so they can definitely participate is asking them, what would they list? as the family values. Like how would you create this family mission statement? In this family, we value X, Y, and Z. And what's really fun, as long as you don't get disheartened by it, is to see if there is a match or a mismatch between what the adults perceive as important and what the kids perceive as important. Because if it turns out you, in this most beautiful, well-meaning way, have taught all this stuff, but you're modeling something else. So your kids are like, that's not, this is what's important to you. Cause this is what we see. It helps you regroup as parents and say, okay, we definitely want compassion to be on our list. I'm pulling that out as a random yes. thing, but our kids are so far away from that, from, from the list of what's important. And in fact, they're saying that you know, something that isn't on our list or even on our, you know, backup list is on there. You know, like, well, how do we integrate our inside feelings and how we operate and move through the world so that our kids can internalize these values? And it may be that you change your list because you're like, you know what? They have noticed something that we didn't even realize was important to us. And it is, it obviously is. Or the reverse can happen where you say, okay, we actually still really like the ones we chose 
let's double down. Let's figure out what we're doing in our life that needs to shift a little in order to make sure that those core values are really a big part of who we are as a family. You can write it down on the fridge or whatever, put it somewhere and it can change. It can evolve over time. And there's no right answer. It goes back to just like sort of aligning your values with how you're raising your kids. And of course, sprinkling in the science as I deeply believe, but I think that's a really great way to get to the heart of what you're talking about is just kind of how do we know if we're modeling that stuff that we really want to get across and maybe a concrete kind of family mission statement helps. I love this. What a great action step for everybody, even if you're not a parent right now and you're maybe in a partnership or you're not in a partnership. I think defining this type of thing is always incredibly valuable. And I love the idea of bringing the kids into the conversation when you were talking about possible incongruencies in doing this. I could see my kids saying something like work is something that we value in this home. Whereas to me, that is not of value. What is of value to me is leaning into our passions, building our skill set, serving others. And both my husband and I have the ability and opportunity to do that through our work. But those are the values and not work. So then we could say, okay, so this is what our kids are perceiving right now is that it's work. How do we change our language around what we're doing when we go into our offices every day or why we have to jump on that call rather than just saying, I have to work. It's like, I'm going to help some people right now, or I'm going to build the skill set. Like, you know, when you go to hockey practice, Jay, mom's going to practice right now being a really epic coach so that we're starting to instill those values. Ooh, I love this. So fun. Yes, that's exactly it. And you're absolutely right. If you are not in a partnership and are not parenting and you are just thinking, well, what, what do I do with this? How great to take the time to figure out what your North Star is. Again, it might change. We all hopefully grow and change over time and you can take inventory and decide what to do. But having that helps you decide like, okay, it also helps you make decisions because you go, I don't know what to do in this situation. And that could be a discipline situation with your kids. It could be a school situation. It could be a, which job to take. It can be a, do I go to this event? It could be anything. Mm. But you ask yourself like, does this align with my mission statement? And that is nothing to do with parenting and everything to do with parenting. If anybody feels like they need support with this, I would say this is one of my favorite things to coach on is helping people really identify what their purpose is and what your core values are. I've never thought about doing it as a family unit And I absolutely love that. So we'll be doing that this week over here for sure. But if you as an individual need some support in that area, you know where to find me. And I absolutely did not think this was going to come about this episode, but I'm so glad that it did. I absolutely love it. I feel like we have covered some really beautiful fundamental kind of pillars around parenting and then drilled down a little bit into some specific areas. If you had the opportunity to send an email to every parent in the world, it was going to land in their inbox tomorrow. And that was your final poof, Dr. Elisa, (laughs) Elisa's final sound clip. What would you say? Oh, God. So this final email probably would first say, breathe. Just as a reminder, because we all need to just give ourselves that 
space. And then it would be a reminder that all feelings are welcome. All behaviors are not. And we get to keep on trying. I love that. Okay. So keeping it raw and real, Dr. Elisa's Wi-Fi just cut out. I'm going to let you know where you can find her. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, go to Dr. Elisa, Dr. D-R-A-L-I-Z-A.com. You can find the link to her podcast. She also has a Substack newsletter. If you'd like that newsletter, you can click the link down below to join into that list. I feel like I just want to say to everybody who's listening right now who is a parent, you're doing great. You are doing well. If you are listening to this podcast episode, it means that you care about your kids. It means that you want to be a good parent and therefore you are already ahead of the game. So be easy on yourself and remember there's no such thing as a perfect parent. In Dr. Aliza's words, a perfect parent would be one who makes mistakes sometimes. So give yourself some grace, take a deep breath, pull out what really resonates from this episode, and as always, leave the rest behind. If you do end up doing the mission statement and core values with your family, you know I am dying to see them. Please take a little photo, share it on IG and tag at Raw Beauty Talks, or just send me a DM with it. It makes my heart so happy to see you taking the tools and the things that we apply or talk about on this show and applying it into your everyday life. All right, sending you all my love. This parenting journey is wild, but we're doing it together. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.